Welcome to Talking Ink. I feel like I'm at my happiest and I just don't look in mirrors at all, you know, for days. A podcast for stories, poems and ways of thinking. I don't know if you can ever truly be honest with the way you're, you're looking or the way you're acting with your face. We like seeing ourselves, we like looking at ourselves. I'm Lucy Smith. This episode is called Faces. I chatted with each writer about their ideas on the theme and you'll hear snippets of our conversations dotted throughout. When I think about faces, I think about emotion. What's revealed on our face and shows a bit of our insides to the outside world. There's something about babies' faces which feel the purest to me. If you've ever locked eyes with a baby, you'll know what I mean. It feels like nothing is hidden. They don't do anything just because that's how they think they should be acting. Their faces say what they feel, and they dare you to do the same, and let go of any guard up or fake face you've put on. It made me think it could be quite draining to do what babies do, to let our faces show ourselves, constantly exposed. Maybe masks are necessary sometimes. Maybe the faces we put on free us up somehow. There are four writers in this episode, each with their own take on the theme faces. Have a listen, and maybe you'll come up with your own ideas. Our first writer is Megan Thomas, with a microfiction that's a bit fantastical. She looks at the idea of someone having many faces each for a different occasion. Her faces. She woke up and realised she'd forgotten to take her face off before she went to bed. It had slipped off the bone and lay face down on her pillow. She always did this when she was drunk. She peeled it away from the pillow and straightened it out. It was okay, just missing the makeup, which remained firmly planted on her linen. She held it up with one hand and caressed it with the other. It was one of her favourites, especially when she went out dancing. It was the prettiest, albeit the least functional. She tossed it in the laundry bag and made her way to the cupboard, now to decide which face to wear to family lunch, she thought. She went through each one, sliding its hanger to the left to see the next. Overwhelmed by the choices, she climbed inside the cupboard of her and fell asleep amongst the lot of them. I think... We're all quite guilty of this idea of a closet full of faces. You know, we present ourselves differently to different people. Do you think it's a bad thing that we can be so different? Well, I, I quite liked putting it in a way that I didn't feel like I was imposing a good or a bad stance on it. But then I do think it can be quite detrimental, not even necessarily to other people, but mainly to ourselves in how we decide what we think we have to be for different occasions and how people end up kind of vetting themselves and choosing what personality is best suited. And yeah, I think it can be bad, but I don't think it's inherently bad. I think we're quite naturally prone to being appropriate to different yeah. different sides of ourselves. Do you ever feel a pressure to put on your prettiest face or your happiest face? Uh, yes, I... I I do think I do. And I think things like social media make it a lot harder because you're seeing, you're actually seeing kind of pictures of people's faces and it's the faces that they've 
chosen. And in that sense, that's quite detrimental, I think, because you're only ever seeing the best of what people are doing in their happiest face. I do feel like a societal pressure, I suppose, I know, to not be miserable or to not not externalize negative emotions, which I guess is is not necessarily a good thing. But it helps you as an individual. It's not necessarily that I put on a happy face for everyone else, so much as putting on the happy face is a process in being happy. That Yeah, and some, sometimes happiness weirdly starts with you deciding you're going to be happy, putting mm. on the smile, and then it comes, even though that doesn't sound quite real. Yeah, it <laughs> seems inauthentic when you try and put it into words, but... It is. It's a it's a mental decision. You say, okay, happy face going on today. And it can make you feel happy. I mean, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's false. You should be allowed to be sad if you need to be sad. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's an inherently negative thing to swap between them. It's weird because I often have to, if I go to a restaurant and there's a mirror in the background or something, I have to make sure I'm sitting away from it because I find myself looking at myself. And it's not necessarily a vanity thing so much as this kind of checking what I'm doing. I, I have this bizarre phobia of skeletons and my reasoning, and I try I, I don't avoid telling people what the fear is about because they think I sound crazy when I say it. But this idea of something copying me, and they say that's ridiculous because the skeleton is you, it's not copying you. But that's why I find skeletons scary is because they're doing the same thing as me. So I suppose this fascination, Every I can't walk past a reflective surface without looking at myself in it. This fascination with what I'm doing and it's happening at the same time that I'm doing it, I guess. I'm quite fascinated by this double image of myself. But it is like we just, we like seeing ourselves. We like looking at ourselves. You know, you kind of, you go, and it's not even necessarily blemish, blemish looking. You're not looking for anything. You just kind of look at yourself and you like try and figure out, figure out what you're looking at. If I forget myself in public and start chewing at my lips... Something I do when I'm thinking hard. I force myself to stop, aware of how it contorts my face into something I see as ugly. And I see people all around me with exactly the same idea, wanting to be seen as attractive, and by extension, liked. And for many of us, our face needs to present to the world the best version of ourselves, much like our Facebook profiles. It's why I cover the grey under my eyes with makeup. Sometimes, our true faces can be hidden, and the outside world can try and decide our identity for us. Our next writer, Callum Winter, is 15 years old and transgender. I would wear makeup, but then once I sort of stopped it, I started to like myself a bit more, which was very peculiar for me. Here he reads us his poem. Being me. I hate the way you look at me. I hate the way you stare. Please just tell me, why do you abuse me in peers? I don't understand some things in life. Apparently God has the answers. So please just give me a sign. One simple answer. Is it worth battling with you even though I try to subdue? I sometimes don't have control. I may be done for assault, so please think about your actions, as is not my fault. All I wanted in life was love and happiness. Is that okay with you? Actually, no, I don't even care. Here's a big fuck you. My happiness doesn't depend on you, so what business is it of yours? That's it. Be a good boy. Go home and do your chores. Make mummy and daddy proud of how you bullied a queer. Just sit there watching your daddy down another beer. They may be impressed or not give a shit. Either way, don't be thinking that you're all it. 
Sometimes people do stupid things as a cry for help. Please just don't go run in your mouth. Just try to understand I didn't ask to be born this way, but now I know who I am. This is one of the prices I have to pay. You didn't know that I'd go home crying to my mum, but she knew exactly where the tears came from. She actually responded to me coming out great thanks for asking. Oh no, wait. I thought I'd clarify before you start saying I'm bad at passing. I can't pass for your gender, you say, as you were being dicks. My mum helps me a lot through things I don't want. I'm forever grateful for the way that she is. Anyway, power, power, power. You bully me as I have more power. I know something more than you on a specific topic. The power you want won't get beaten out of me. I guarantee you don't like me as I have probably confused your sexuality. I was once in that state of being confused. But now I know. I like boys. No way. Girls. Boys, girls, boys, girls, boys, girls. Ah, fuck it. I'm screwed. I still don't know my sexuality, dude. I walk past this couple one day, one with a great smile on his face as he tells the other he loves him. They smile down the street as their hands would meet. They're so proud of who they are, but that's amazing. Just amazing. Both men couldn't seem happier. I'm hoping the same will happen with me. Will I ever get my happily ever after? This idea of passing in your poem, can you tell me more about that and what it means to you? Okay, so passing to me means, like, because I was born a female, I much rather to look and identify as a male. So passing would mean I can pass as the opposite sex from what I was assigned to. So I would look male, sound male. People will just identify me as a male. In terms of how it, how you've personally done it for you? is really just simple things in a way. I cut my hair, changed clothes. I don't act feminine. You always look at the main features of both genders. So for a woman, it'd be hair, breasts, curves. For a guy, it'd be flat chest, short hair, like simple things like that. So I just try to change those things about me in order to look like how I see myself in the mirror. So you being male, was that just sort of under everything as before you came out as you grew up? Was that sort of like I was, an identity under yeah, another one? It was like it was almost sort of like hiding. I never fully understood it until I was thirteen. But when I learned about what a lesbian is, I was like, that's me. I like girls. And then as I learned a bit more about the LGBT, I was like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> like, I'm confused now. The feeling I have of feeling very masculine and wanting to look masculine is something I guess I never purposely hidden because I didn't fully understand it. However, now that I do understand it is really no secret. It was sort of like a hidden identity until I learned how to fully express myself. I think I've got better with my face personally. Simple things like growing a moustache, just trying to sort of get stronger facial features, and they have got stronger, funny enough, as I've come out. Lots of small signifiers that sort of yeah. add up in people's eyes when they see you, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like simple judgments that we all make, but without knowing that we're actually doing it. Would you say there's masculine and feminine body language and things like that as well? Or is it quite personal to people? We've sort of gone into a generation where everything is so over the place. 
So you can't really specify a move as a female's move. But there are some judgments you can make that are like, yeah, that's definitely a male's thing. Like, even though a female can try it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work out. And, like, people do it with me also. It makes me feel like crap. But it's sort of the truth. Like, you, you can't escape your traits. I, I, I don't know what I look like as well as other people. Siobhan Denton reads next. It kind of sounds like a strange thing because it's it's your face, but you don't get to kind of analyse those micro movements or non-verbal communication that you do with people every single day. With her microfiction about the faces we construct, practice and present to the outside world. So in a way, actually, people know what you look like better than you do yourself. It's there. You sit in a bar, you're on your own, you're always on your own. You pretend you don't mind, it doesn't really matter when you know everyone. So many people to speak to, nod at, say hello, no one would ever really know. They think you're waiting for someone, but you know, it's etched on your face. The desperation, the yearning to act nonchalant, the slightly too enthusiastic way you smile and shake hands and they can almost smell it on you. The light changes colour near you, like it's gone out. You try to suck it in, try to bring others towards you, but after the greeting, they leave every time. Some days, you can't make the smile reach your eyes, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many hours you spend practising. Sometimes, you use the mirror. Use it to check how believable you can make it. Other times, you trace the lines with your fingertips. Check the angle, the space between lips, nose, eyes. You know when it's not real, when you haven't been able to fake it, when you haven't been able to make it convincing. You see it reflected back at you. They smile too, but there's something there, something in their eyes. And you know, they've seen the real you, and they haven't liked it, and you keep practising. You often used to dream of driving. You're on a road, very aware of being in the car. You feel the cold steering wheel under your fingers, finger the stitching, see the road in front of you. Check the rear view mirror and you try to brake and you realise you can't. The brakes won't work. You panic. It feels palpable, real. You feel it still when you wake. Remember how it feels to press down on the pedal, how it feels when nothing happens. You know not to place too much emphasis on dreams. You've made that mistake before. It's what started the spiral. The one that you're still on. Sometimes it moves slowly, incrementally. Other times it's like there are no breaks. I think there's that idea, isn't there, that you present a particular face to the rest of the world and that face can be constructed. You have more control over that than those thoughts. So when you're meeting someone or when you're seeing someone, that's a social construct and I liked the idea of these interior thoughts that you're never really privy to when you're seeing someone else and it was the idea with with this piece in particular that this person is is almost hyper aware of the face that they're presenting to the public and they're scrutinizing the way they're acting all the time and they're desperately trying to act natural but there's this kind of hyper reality or this hyper awareness of how other people are viewing them the idea that they're constantly practicing how they're going to present themselves to the rest of the world, like they're scared of being found out. 
being seen as as not being real. Yeah, that part almost reminded me. I don't know if you've seen Terminator 2. Yeah. But the idea of this robot practicing his smile. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of looking at themselves in the mirror the whole time, checking that the way they're looking, the, the way their face is moving is going to be believable to everyone else. So this is a person who's hyper aware and it's almost dishonest with their face. Mm. They're trying not to show what they're thinking. Do you reckon, is anybody completely honest with their face? We all hide things, right? I don't know. I think people are always aware of how they're being viewed by other people. So in that sense, I don't know if you can ever truly be honest with the way you're you're looking or the way you're acting with your face, because there's always this element of being aware that other people are looking at you. And you see people shying away more and more from face-to-face contact. Definitely. And maybe that's because they can't control it. There's an element, isn't there, if you're communicating online, that you can spend that time going over editing what you've written, you have that time to interpret what someone said, to reflect on it, and then come back with a response. Whereas if it's that immediate face-to-face interaction, you've lost that element of control. They see the response in your in your nonverbal communication. That sort of worries me sometimes. It almost feels like it's the most human to act off those instincts and for mistakes to happen and things to come out and not have that rigid control all the time. So it's a shame. It feel, almost feels like we're losing something there. I think we are. I think it's, it's definitely not as natural now the way that we communicate, whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. I mean, for some people who might feel anxious in those kind of situations, there, there's a sense of relief, I guess. But at the same time, we lose seeing the impact of what we say sometimes. So there's so much online now of, of people saying really hurtful things to one another. And they wouldn't say that in a face-to-face interaction because they would see that impact. But it's a lot easier to type something and not see the emotional response of someone and not worry about that. I, for me, I always look different in photos to how I see one, the, my own like image of myself in my mind, I guess. And also just how, when I, what I look like when I look in the mirror. And then there's that, that weird thing of looking at myself in a photo, even though I know it's me, it never looks exactly like the image that I have of myself. I feel like I'm at my happiest and I just don't look in mirrors at all, you know, for days. And it's a weird feeling like on the fourth day, then looking at your face. That kind of separation of self and face when you, you know, you're not constantly uh, affirming your own existence physically. We could ask whether it's actually possible to have an identity, a face that is truly ours and will always stay that way. Our final writer is David Harvey, who reads us his poem and chats to me about whether the identities we think we have can ever be as real and as permanent as we might hope. This is the orange piss in the toilet bowl. She's taking her face off in black underwear and I can see the paper wings of a menstrual pad as she folds to cleanse the charcoal from her eyes, not yet soiled. And she puts her face on in the morning, in thick bunny rabbit pyjama bottoms and a Scandinavian deathcore t-shirt. In the mornings, I look into the mirror too, see me. I can't look at your reflection. I've got to brush my teeth or something, but I can see your simple face. How is it disgusting to spit out into the sink? We are purging, you and I. I'll stand behind you where it is darker, and then my eye is drawn to the orange piss in the toilet bowl upon which I painted par excellence 
some dardo and excrement stained like St. Paul's but with something more decadent. That there is my food and my fight and my shite and my spirit. I'll piss it away and it will flush underneath so that we walk on the concrete below us above it. One violent eye scolding in fluorescent light and next she pulled the string that brought darkness. You should have seen her eyes, a jaw, the hate, some kindness, her mother's, not exactly. I think in this poem, um, where I talk about faces, the face really represents um, stable personal identity. It would be within my past. It's quite it's quite a personal poem. At a point where I, I could see myself breaking away from what was comfortable for me, you know, and what I knew. So I suppose I use faces and reflections in that sense, in the sense that um, those that maybe I villainize a little bit in my poetry are the, you know, the pretty together, collected people, you know, with, a, with an identity. When people have, like, like, a look or, you know, to say this is my face and this is me, this is who I am to have a look, I think it implies, like, a more stable identity than is possible. When you walk past people in the street, do you think you get first impressions of, say, their personality from what their faces do? I, I think I infer them. They, uh, to what extent they represent them, um, close to none. But, yeah, I definitely infer personality traits from people's appearance. I mean, we all do. And how does that work, do you think? I suppose then it would be the associations of the appearance, you know. So, like, these, for example, these are the ways I'm going to vote because these are fake glasses. Which, which makes me an actor wanker because I'm just trying to look clever. That's the connotation of that, right? So that's the kind of thing that this poem is telling people to stop doing, you know, oh, stop okay. being so that's a prick. An like, yeah, that's just me saying, look, oh, I'm a poet with glasses. I'm reading, you know. It's, uh, I think look becomes style, and then style becomes identity. And if I think if we become too uh, too reliant on identity, it puts too much emphasis on the face, on the self. When I was a baby, and I look, this is a crazy memory that's almost like I got, one of my first memories is seeing like you know like old school nineties shawls, like white like knit shawls. You just it's like maybe it's specifically where I'm from, but they're kind of like like crochet detailed knits, oh, and they yeah. go on the back of sofas and stuff. Yeah. I vaguely remember like just making faces out of those details, you know. So it probably is a, you know a, a uniquely human instinct to give something like a expression of some some deep meaning in himself, you know. I think it's true for most that our face doesn't always feel completely our own. And sometimes we're aware of constructing it for some purpose. But I also think that when you see someone's face for the first time, you can tell whether or not you'll click with them. And I think that maybe this means that the face, in a way we can't always control, captures something of who we are. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking Ink. The music was composed for us by Lawrence Tucker. The theme was Faces. This is a Radio Cardiff podcast in association with Seren Books. <laughs>